Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter. A health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. In this episode is one of our deep dives, our Bakta tank of talk. We're going to dive deep into the Bakta of Boba Fett. <laughs> We're going to be discussing the great Disney gallery episode that is going behind the scenes into the Bakta pod of Boba Fett, that great show. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Ken Napsuck. You know, we're sloshing around like we always say here, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, this is the perfect episode to slosh around to some Bakta. Uh, fun, fun Disney gallery. Can't wait to dive on in here with you today, my friend. 
Yeah, me too. So let's get the uh, the preambles out of the way here. We got our Audible discussion, as we always have. We want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash forcecenter. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. We are continuing to recommend Brotherhood, the new Obi-Wan and Anakin story by author Mike Chen. If you want to check that out, you can download the free audiobook today by going to audibletrial.com slash forcecenter. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash forcecenter for a free audiobook. It helps us and you get a free audio book we are now gonna go behind the book of boba fett i guess behind disney gallery going behind the book of boba fett uh if you're not caught up uh, for star wars day may 4th disney plus released a new episode in this ongoing behind the scenes series disney gallery and this episode is all about book of boba fett ken what was your overall reaction to this episode of Disney Gallery? We've kind of come to expect a, a certain uh, perspective, a certain kind of discussion. Did this uh, line up to what you expected? Was it more? What happened? It's interesting that you start with that. Hey, we've kind of come to expect something about, and then the sentence goes on. But I kind of had so just come to expect that one of these would be released <laughs> that I almost wasn't as excited as I wanted to be for it when I sat finally, I didn't watch it on May the 4th. It took me a few days to actually uh, get to it. Um, and so I really enjoyed it to be clear, but I, I remember thinking, I was like, I wasn't as emotionally moved by that one as I was other ones. Uh, you know, uh, some of the, the first Manda ones uh, had me in tears, Star mm. Wars, tears of joy. This one didn't move me. I just had a smile on my face. Oh, I was let down. <laughs> that was kind of my initial reaction to it <laughs> until I watched it the second time, until I kind of ruminated on what was in it. Um, and I know that's just for me, just be like, all right, we're going to get a show. We're going to get a behind the scenes. And that's just kind of the package deal now. So I, I think I, it was so routine that I didn't open my heart fully to it at first. But once I did, uh, man, a lot of fun stuff there, as always. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that well, that's really great. I think I maybe approached it in a different way. I think on on uh, Star Wars Day, I heard good things about it. I saw the tweets coming and I was like, oh, no, I got I got it's so great. I got so much Star Wars to do, but it's so great. I got to finish this. Watch this. Oh, the Kenobi uh, trailer. This is so great. Ah. So uh, by the time uh, the, the all the the tweeting and the podcasting was done and my wife got home and we we're going to sit down and eat, I was just like, I'm so in the Star Wars zone. I really want to watch disney gallery like on the television and sometimes lately uh for some things uh i'll watch them first on my computer and i'll pause and i'll take notes as we go and that's kind of the way i thought i'd i was going to watch disney gallery but it's just like i just want to watch it uh on the couch uh you know eating a burrito (laughs) with my wife and experience it together and this one hit me harder than i expected it to and i don't know if it was kind of like the way i i watched it or um I so loved Book of Boba Fett. There was a lot of consternation and discussion and, you know, uh, different criticisms, which, you know, some I agree with, some I disagree with. Everybody always has a right to them, but it was kind of a, there were moments where the conversation was very vitriolic. Um, and yeah, yeah. It, and it, was, it was a hard moment for me because I was really enjoying what the show was doing and saying, even though I understood some of the criticisms and even agreed with some of them. Um, that this special just kind of stripped all that away <laughs> and returned me to what I loved about this show and, and gave me that great lift that these things can, uh, where I just enjoyed the charm of the actors, uh, the passion of, uh, the creators. And uh, I'm going to be honest. I, I think that, um, 
there's a lot in this special that uh, was validating to the way that we've approached Book of Boba Fett on this mm-hmm. show. We're certainly mm-hmm. not unique. Uh, we didn't find any hidden treasure. I think what was mm-hmm. what I got out of this is the artist expressed a lot of like, here's what we cared about. Here's what we were trying to wrestle with. Here's what we were maybe trying to express or ask the audience to ask about the characters. Here's what our intentions were. And it was just nice to look at the screen and go, we were picking up what you were laying down. Mm. And and again, mm. it's not about like we found a hidden treasure that mm. this show is a puzzle and we solved it. <laughs> you know, mm. it, it, it's not, I don't want to come across as I'm patting myself on the back for, for our punditry and our reactions. It was more like it was the, I got all these things from the show and it was really lovely to hear the creators go, here's what we hope people get from the show. And at least my experience was, I did get that. Thanks for the gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're saying, and, and we want to walk that line. I think we're, we we feel we're we're pretty good at what we do around these parts, but also I think what we do is just point at at that and go. Star Wars is about hope. Did you did y'all get it? <laughs> y'all no, and and no, I I'm with you on that, and I want to be clear. Like I, I really uh, there's so much I enjoyed about this, and I'm going to dive in. I don't have a negative view of this thing. I guess my standards were. Well, I didn't cry, so I, uh, you know, maybe, you know, you know then, and, and then uh, I watched it again just before we're recording here today. And yeah, it just uh, ate up so much of it there. And, and, and it is uh, just, you're, you're exposed to the heart of the, of, of the show because the creators are sharing their heart. Uh, and that's always a great thing in Star Wars to just see on display. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to discuss some specific moments, some revelations, uh, some confirmations. I kind of thought this uh, particular Disney gallery was a little richer with actual new information or the creators kind of sharing uh, mm-hmm. a specific uh, perspective. So uh, I, I wrote up the notes in I had written up a podcast that it would take us four hours to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I did cut some stuff some from time. So if you really enjoyed this Disney gallery episode, uh we're going to talk about a lot, um, but maybe not everything, uh, just in uh, the spirit of time. So with that caveat out of the way, uh, let's dive in. This episode of Disney Gallery kicks off with uh, director and co-producer Robert Rodriguez talking to the cast and crew, saying how inspired he is that everything they're doing on this Boba Fett show started with one person, George Lucas, writing down the Star Wars on a piece of paper, and how Rodriguez directly links that to his own career as an indie filmmaker. That's the beginning of this discussion. What do you think about this framing of Star Wars as an indie film is one idea that gives life to endless new ideas? I think it's just so accurate. It's so true. And it's also weird. You know, even George would agree, you know, I'm this rebel. And then I kind of built a film studio up around me and and therefore you know uh i think it's incorrect to say he became what he was against you know i don't think that's the exact uh, right way to look at it but star wars is the you know the prequels themselves have been referred to as the most expensive independent films of all time right we've Mm -hmm. heard that a lot so i think the spirit's always there and and i have just uh i think a lot of us uh have um when i say us like our our generation, Joseph, uh, have um, an interesting, if you're in entertainment and, and writing or filmmaking, you might have an interesting relationship with Rod Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez, because he is, he's the rebel without a crew guy, you know? Yeah. And, and I spent a lot of time in, in my, my college days studying screenwriting and filmmaking. And he was, he was like the guy at the time. Yes. Tarantino and Kevin Smith with clerks and all that stuff was big, but like, there was also this guy doing amazing things for $5,000 on the weekend, you know? And, <laughs> 
And to have him talk about the spirit of Star Wars, and it is one guy in a pad of paper in a room, it's one person uh, on set coming up with ideas, I think is as big as Star Wars is, and it's gigantic. And as uh, much as it can feel like big tentpole filmmaking, because, hey, it is, and it's all for profit, I still think every property puts out these ideas that do strike that chord of uh, one person in a pad of paper and an idea. And I, I love, love kind of starting the show with that. Yeah, I really love that too, and I think there is so much discussion about yeah, uh, Lucasfilm is is a large company owned by an even larger company, uh, Disney. So mm-hmm. I, I think there is an effort to say like, but let's look at the genesis of this. Let's look at you know how, how we're conducting ourselves as we create new content and what do we mean by the spirit of of indie filmmaking, right? I think for me, it's it's a great way to to discuss Star Wars. Of so yeah, he, he managed to. Uh, to sell not the idea of Star Wars, but to sell Alan Ladd Jr.'s belief in him, George Lucas. Mm. Um, but it was something that he had to fight for, right? And I, I think it's such a great um, a, a great conversation because Lucas is the big bang, right? It's his idea and mm. nothing else comes unless he has that idea. But then Lucas himself is always, you know, giving credit to all of the other visionaries, you know, that mm-hmm. original trilogy, Ben Burt, John Williams, Ralph McQuarrie, John Molo, the actors. Uh, maybe Lucas himself doesn't give as much credit to Marsha Lucas, but we know her contribution, Yeah, you know, and uh, on and on and on. It, it, it's obviously like it starts with this one person and then there's this big bang of all these other creators who uh, get involved. But I still think indie is the right framing because he's had to go through so much uh through both the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy to say, I really have a vision and I'm going to make it happen come hell or high water, even down to things that people disagree with, like the special editions of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a vision and I want it to happen. And I, even though I am successful and I have started my own company uh, and I could be seen as the establishment now, I'm still fighting for my vision. Um, and, and, a clear celebration from both Lucas and, and in this Rodriguez and everybody else of uh, a joy at collaboration, mm. but this collaboration in effort of, of staying true to a vision. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. And, 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 and this, whenever you talk about like the spirit of independent filmmaking, it, it doesn't just mean, you know, grabbing your iPhone and, and 20 bucks and telling a story to me, it, it is, it is outside the the box in terms of story, in terms of of, of your creative drive, and, and to tell your story, right? That's an indie film. Oh, that's a very indie film. Just means it's it's so undeniably personal, and so undeniably takes big risks. That what if question, and and I think um, I think Boba Fett, for better or worse, and I'm with you on some. Sometimes I I always describe the show as very stubborn. Yeah, very stubborn. Um, but, and, and, and you all have heard me say this too many times. I'll try to make this the last time I say it, but like, go watch swingers, go watch swingers. <laughs> that is an indie film with Doug Lyman directing. Yes. But it's the first time that, that, uh, John Favreau set at, set down at his apartment. Uh, I could tell you the exact intersection. Joseph could too. Uh, and, and just wrote something without any interference. The only thing, it was just his story to tell. And I think that's, that carries on to Boba Fett. I think so, too. And I think a a part of the indie thing that's being celebrated in this little scene is just the idea of let's find a way. Uh, We got this idea. We're in love with it. So let's find a way. I think to me, it connects to a moment that happens later where Rodriguez is talking about it's I have this idea for the Tatooine Sand Ape, but it's over Zoom and I can't. So I'm going to just 
uh, I'm going to previs with action figures. I'm going to go personally build a model <laughs> yeah. of the sand ape. I'm going to film myself as a sand ape. I'm just going to find a way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And that that was really inspiring to me. I think maybe that starting that way is what really hooked me on this. Of um, I, I haven't done as much of it, but I've I have you know been a producer in the past, and particularly when I'm young, just finding a way is really thrilling. I did a, a play early in my career that I wrote and I needed a Chihuahua and uh, I, <laughs> I built one out of uh, paper, uh, wire, uh, duct tape and googly eyes. And my dad was always so kind about it. He's like, I can't believe this. You needed a Chihuahua. You couldn't have a live one. You can't buy one at a store and you just made one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think about that and wanting yeah. to keep that spirit alive of if you got an idea, there's a way. Yeah, and and that's an accurate uh, d- depiction of of a Chihuahua, as as you know, with one in your life and your past as well. So yeah, good job. Yeah, yeah. So that was a great way to kick this off. Great uh, kickoff to our discussion. Moving on to other parts of Disney Gallery. Uh, early on, Favreau uh, talks about having respect for all parts of Star Wars, uh, Lucas's films, anything that is canon. Uh, to some extent, he says the EU. Uh, Filoni then emphasizes that the goal is to have everything connected. Uh, they both uh, discuss the evolution of Boba Fett a bit from the mystery man in the original trilogy to a, a shadowy warrior with different possible origins in the EU uh, to his concrete backstory as Jango's son in the prequel trilogy. Uh, later on, Favreau even says a lot of the conversations that take place around Star Wars are how do you account for what's been shown already? Mm-hmm. So this is such a point of uh, fan discussion uh, what is that perspective of how much things should connect and what parts of the previous story are, are being taken into account? How does knowing that this is the perspective that Filoni and Favreau have, how does that inform the way uh, we look at the actual Book of Boba Fett season? Um, it, it, uh, it, just, it makes a lot of sense. I'll start there. Uh, it makes a lot of sense and, and, and how things, whether there's simple references to the spirit of a lot of the, the stories, including the EU stuff. And yeah, sometimes I, I, I poke the bear of the EU, right. Where, where <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's not my favorite, but I love a good reference. And, uh, and I love taking ideas again and building on it there. So it just makes a lot of sense when you hear them talking about this. And and it's also interesting to me, just this journey with Favreau with Star Wars, who's still even here in this section kind of says, you know, the films I grew up with and clearly <laughs> referring to the original trilogy and, 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 and his you know comments at the, at the, uh, the panel in 2019 in Chicago. Yeah, Dave's working on me, trying to appreciate the prequels. And I think I just I I think this this particular season reflects a lot of even John's growth as a Star Wars fan, if I may. I don't know him enough to say that for sure. Uh, maybe it's presumptuous of me, but yeah, I, I think that's uh, it definitely it forms a way of look at what he what he what he and so many others did for this season. It, it certainly seems like it from the outside, and I think it's one of the things that uh, made me really invested in Book of Boba Fett right from the beginning. It's why I pumped my fist when I saw the waters of Camino, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because there there are these different shards of, of Boba Fett's identity spread through all of this different storytelling. And, uh, you know, discussions in, uh, in fan groups can sometimes be, this is my Boba Fett, I reject this other part of Boba Fett, right? Yeah. Um, but it's what's always fascinated me about the character and why I've always since the disney purchase been on the uh, of lucasfilm Bellman on the yeah i want to see boba fett because it's his opportunity to answer the questions i've had since 2002 since we met mm-hmm. kid boba fett you know yeah. uh he is both a badass man of mystery 
and he's a traumatized orphan, and he's got a complex set of possible identities, clone, bounty hunter, maybe kind of a Mandalorian, maybe. So out of all of that, what does he want his identity to be? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the show is wrestling with. And I think the the approach to Star Wars that Filoni and Favreau are both talking about of we want to look at everything that's ever been and say that's all a part of the story. How does how does that crystallize into one story? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's particularly with Boba Fett, who is a character that does cross all the, the mediums, right? And all the eras uh, more mm-hmm. than I mean, all the characters do. Let me be clear, but. Boba Fett's legend grew in legends, so to speak, and, and mm-hmm. then even before, leading to Attack of the Clones when, when a lot of that changed. So, yeah, that just, uh, yeah, again, interesting to track as, as they bring that all into this show. And, and I, I'm with you, too. Like, I, I, I think even though I've said before in the past, like, yeah, Boba Fett, in the end, in the end, Boba Fett was never one of my favorite characters where maybe in 83 he might have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just never took to him too much after that. Uh I always, but I do want the answer. Give me the answers of these big questions and I can find out more about them. And that's why I think the show, but also this particular special um, did work for me because I got to see uh, them and their thought process in answering those questions. Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, it is just kind of a pretty direct addressing of a fan concern to have these two, you know, uh, influential creators currently, more creators mm-hmm. uh, coming along saying like, no, we really, we talk about it a lot. How does it, how does this fit into what has, what has come before? Yeah. So real respect for that. Yeah, um, moving on, uh, there is a discussion of the casting of Tamura Morrison as Boba Fett in this show. Kathleen Kennedy reveals that George Lucas himself said, hey, if you guys ever do anything with Boba Fett, you need to bring Tamura Morrison back. Uh, Rodriguez says that uh, Tamura Morrison is similar to Boba Fett, uh, quoting Rodriguez, immense presence, yet a quiet softness to him kindness and generosity that can be overwhelming uh what did you appreciate about the the celebration of the actor of boba fett in this special i loved it this is someone who's got a, an extensive resume but was also perhaps most known i, w- I think you could argue as django and that carries uh, in some circles some baggage in other circles it carries literally no baggage so i love seeing him come back i love seeing him uh, own this role and bring so much of him to this point in boba fett's life these big questions are asking about boba fett i think uh, they're in part they're answered by uh Tem's spirit I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think he brought, brought that there. And then the other thing is, can we just talk about at what point did George turn to Kathy and say, hey, make a Boba Fett. I got the, I got your guy. <laughs> like what what part post 2012 or maybe at the meeting 2012? I'm fascinated by that. Love, love to love to know more about that or be a fly on a wall. Yeah, I mean, the dramatic version of it in my mind is that, you know, Lucas signs the paperwork with Iger, takes that, you know, unenthused that photo. photo. <laughs> walks down the hall to yeah. Kathleen Kennedy's office like here's my list of 10 things yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that I think are important if you're doing both it tomorrow um and uh, by the way there's this thing called McClunky you'll you'll see you'll you'll, you'll find out when you get there <laughs> I'll deliver the McClunky edition in a moment yeah. uh, that's the yeah. new official edition of a new hope uh yeah I think there was also that window where he was going to be you know remain in more of that advisory role and then as he said in interviews that he saw they wanted to go a different direction to force awakens and and for himself realized that this would be stressful because he, he he has a hard time being uh, half in he, he'd want mm-hmm. control and uh so he, he stepped out of that advisory role clearly people always talk about going to him and sharing ideas and getting his insights yeah. and all that so even though it's not kind of official it's still happening 
so who knows when it happened, but it, it is really, it's why the, one of the reasons I wanted to notice, note it that Kathleen mm-hmm. Kennedy, at some point, George is like, Hey, if you ever, you gotta use this guy is, is really cool. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, this whole section is really just a celebration of, of, uh, what this actor brings to Boba Fett. I so agree with you that, uh, his spirit is clearly there of like, mm-hmm absolute presence you you believe that uh you know uh this person is a fighter in, in physical presence and in emotional presence uh but also you know there's this great uh still waters run deep vibe with him right mm-hmm. and and his his performance with the rancor in particular is like oh that's 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 a guy who who's gruff on the outside but you know uh, loves the dog loves doggies <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know uh, which we'll talk about more um i loved in the special scene his dramatic reading of the screen directions about boba fett joining the tuscan tribe that was a yes. great moment um showing how clearly and explicitly the ideas were being conveyed in the screen directions um i also really liked this is jumping forward but it's one of my favorite things uh, uh from Tamora Morrison, uh, when he's talking about Boba Fett's fighting style and how much he uh, made choices that he didn't want it to be just bash bash, as he, yeah, <laughs> as he said, yeah. uh, and that he was inspired by the, those real world uh, uh, roots of the gaffy stick, uh, the Fijian weapon called a Totokia, I believe, uh, and that he translated that into twisting motion even, when, motion even when he was just doing punches and blocks. That, that insight was really great. And I, oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love that kind of stuff of of just owning the physicality of the character and the full, just the full uh, identity of the character and what he brought to it. And it's also fascinating too because there's so much you know of what we know of Boba Fett, what we don't know of Boba Fett before all of this that you go, yeah, yeah, he might he might he, he was Django and he is strong and, and stoic and and I would say Tim's kind of a, a badass in his own right if he wants mm-hmm. to be right. Uh, but then so much of what the series is about was truly about the other side of this performer. And what a perfect, um, just, uh, you know, a perfect marriage and, and, and actor and role here uh, where I don't think, you know, when George says that, uh, you know, and I heard that I would be like, oh yeah, I guess he is, is stoic and strong, but it, it's the softness. It, he it, And watching him read that scene and getting moved by it and being like, oh, oh I got to go to makeup now. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I, it was a real powerful moment that of truly you did find the, the right uh, person for this role of what they wanted yeah. to do with Boba Fett. Yeah. And just a, a charming, fun man, you know, mm-hmm. which comes across uh, very clearly here. Uh, so then Filoni discusses the uh, mythological theme and repeated Star Wars idea about venturing to an underworld and emerging changed. He says Boba goes through that with the uh, Sarlacc escape. Uh, Favre discusses the importance that Star Wars characters face physical challenges, but also internal emotional ones as well, that it isn't Star Wars to just follow a badass having cool fights, and that the show was an effort to respect the cool, badass, best bounty hunter in the galaxy, Boba Fett, while also having the character, uh, as Favre says, learn the lessons of time and of experience. Um, I think we're both on board with this uh, show being an effort to to balance those ideas, everything we're just talking about, the performance uh, uh, just of the character of Boba Fett, and then also everything that's being explored in the actual storytelling. But mm-hmm. for you, do you think that balance was achieved in this show, that this was a Boba Fett who was changing and growing, but he was still the uh, uh, impossibly cool <laughs> badass bounty hunter? Yeah, I, absolutely, and and what he's doing with this new p- power, what why he wants to do it. What John said, uh, what he said, the the idea of you know kind of controlling the chaos around him as is he as he builds something new up there that ended up working for me. I I keep in, in conversations even off air with friends saying I 
Yes, absolutely enjoyed the book of Boba Fett. I, I kind of even enjoyed it more than Mando too. Is literally how I phrase it. I, I want to leave room for the other person <laughs> to have their their feelings acknowledged. But I'm like, I kind of like this more than Mando season two because I think this is similar to a lot of Mando season one. And, and you know, I know it can uh, it, it, it can border sometimes on on just uh, repeated uh, 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 not just themes, but even you know the the, the outfit, the Mando outfit. A uh, uh, grizzled warrior finding a new way. I understand maybe sometimes we want new things, and I think we are going to get new things. But for me, this particular uh, season of uh, Book of Boba Fett struck this chord that Favreau was talking about, uh, coming from a generation where Boba Fett was a mysterious badass who who did badass killing things, uh, which uh, are part of the fun and part of the reason that the figure flew off the shelves back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get so much more, it really did... Um, Strike a balance because even at the end of the day, even in that final episode, he's he's you still not going to mess with him. You still don't want to mess with him, and he has learned everything. Is a new kind of armor, literally, uh, internally and externally. So it all did end up working for me, and I and I was uh, I don't know, it's just reassuring to to hear uh, Favre talk about it. I loved I loved hearing him talk about it. Yeah, I thought it was really important to the big picture of Star Wars and the balance of the adventure thrill and the cool fighting with the philosophy and morality of Star Wars, which was just mm-hmm. a, a big question always. Uh, we talked about on the uh, our questions of the, uh, the Force mm-hmm. episode this week, but then also the specificity to Boba Fett. You know, I think going on this journey of he can grow, he can change, he is not just a man of mystery, he's not just a, a cool fighter. I think that's that's having so much respect to what, what Lucas choose chose to do, right. To yeah. say, I think there's the, to me, there's this energy that, that Lucas is like, Hey, I love the action. I love the cool armor. I don't, he doesn't want to just put bad guys out there. He wants to show you maybe where they went wrong or how, and can they change, right? That's the whole journey of Vader. And I think that, that showing him as a child out of the armor, young, vulnerable, traumatized is this effort to say, even the cool badasses are humans capable or, or beings, <laughs> mm-hmm. souls capable of making choices. So for this show to come along and go, yeah, we're going to re- respect that idea and we're going to get under the helmet and, and, and interact with the human is so great. But then on the flip side of that comes this like, yeah, but he is the best bounty hunter in the galaxy. So how are you going to respect yeah. that? You know, and yeah. I think the big picture for me in the big picture, yes, I do think that I, I understand it when people say to me, and I've had a couple of people f- say to me, like, I wish he was a little more badass. And I think for me, that's a function of his appearance in Mandalorian season two on Tython is yeah. for me, one of the greatest action scenes in all of star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. It's so great <laughs> mm-hmm. that it almost put book of Boba Fett at a disadvantage. And I think uh, for me, if, if I, you know, for my little nitpick, I would maybe, would have taken a slightly bigger action beat uh, from Boba Fett at, at some point a little earlier in the series. It pays mm-hmm. off so well when we get the finale of the knee darts and the ride and the rancor and mm-hmm. <laughs> everything I've ever wanted to see. Uh, but uh, I think narratively it, it was important that he, he certainly has big fight scenes and he certainly has uh, big victories, but there are a lot of moments where he's back on his heels because it's necessary for, for the drama and the tension. Uh, but I would have taken one more big badass moment. Early on, particularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, yeah, and he, and he look, he's got he's got some big ones early on, killing uh, four armed monsters and all that stuff. But I I know what you mean, and it might have worked. And that's again, I, I keep saying that the, the show is, is stubborn in its way, but it, but it, but it, but it it, it just it, it's it's a story of letting go, story of of, of changing and, and and not succumbing to maybe the 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 darker uh, aspects of the surroundings, uh, the uh, you know that are, that are around you, the people that are around you, um, and, and using who you are, uh, but to do something better with it. Uh, there's the story of a, of a comic moves to LA. Uh, he meets, Oh wait, that's swingers again. Damn it. I said I wouldn't talk about it. Um, but again, who, 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 who has to let go, has to use uh, his own power, uh, but uh, not the way the people around him use it, tries to build up something better and is rewarded for it. So anyways, I, I that's why I'm continually, uh, continuously moved by uh book of boba fett uh and and, hit, and that's why I, so that's why my answer is always going to be it does strike that balance but okay i'll bo- you know maybe the maybe he should have fought the sarlacc and not <laughs> escaped it how about that yeah yeah i think for me it'd just be like uh and this is such a, a small thing i love this show with all my heart but i do get the like the tython scene is so amazing it's almost an yeah. obstacle and there's a part of me that'd be like it's amazing they accomplished everything they did in the in the time of the pandemic that they were doing this. But like for me, I would have taken him, taken out, uh, you know, twelve Nightwind assassins in the next twelve. Get him, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. to kind of amp up his his skill a, a little bit. Uh, but that sure. that's just like yeah. the, this real like tune in the balance thing. It's not about the heart of the show. It's about that interesting question that they raise of how, how do we tell this story and still respect the badass bounty hunter? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. understand that. Yeah. So moving on, uh, there is a discussion of the importance of the second episode's train sequence uh, and its relationship to Lawrence of Arabia in the famous train scene there. Uh, director Steph Green talks about watching that film and studying it. Uh, cinematographer, storied cinematographer Dean mm-hmm. Gundy talks about uh, that this is what storytelling is and particularly Star Wars storytelling. Recognizing moments that had emotional impact with audiences in other stories and then being inspired by them, putting your own spin or interpretation on them, that that is the heart of what uh, this is. Uh, Tamar Morrison talks about how he grew up watching these kind of films like Lawrence Arabia, but as he says, now I'm Lawrence. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So what did you get uh, from hearing this take on uh, being influenced by other stories? Because that can also be a hot button discussion among fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I and I understand that, and we can get to that there. I'll start here. It, it, we, I, I absolutely knew Dean Cundy was involved. We talked about it. His name is in the credits. It was wasn't it a little like wonderfully weird to see him in a Star Wars BTS episode? <laughs> like yeah, that? it's Dean Cundy. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. Doing Star Wars. Not small. Yeah. Not a small thing. No, not at all. It was great to see him. Amazing <laughs> yeah. to see him. Yeah. Uh, but I love that. I love what Steph Green was saying too about studying this. So I, I agree with this overall. I, I I joke, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. There's like really is only seven stories in the world that that old uh, <laughs> saying. Yeah, there really is. But it is just about taking what not just what worked before, but taking the basic core of of the big stories that move us and inspire us and what we connect with. That is, um, and, and, and repat. Not just, again, not just putting a fresh coat of paint, but just. Mm-hmm. getting down to the the level it's also fun i think especially for cinephiles or especially if you're in the business to like hey you know that lawrence arabia scene we're gonna do that but in star wars i think there's some fun to that uh there is the other side that we're seeing of hey make make sure uh do do the trope check do mm-hmm. the uh the the what what are you carrying uh, on uh, you've discussed that wonderfully before right. joseph 
so there's a danger to that. But I, I think, I, I think to, to, you know, that's not present in this conversation, this moment where they're having, they're just going to the why of it and the spirit of it. And then even for Tem to be like, hey, guess what? I'm Lawrence of Arabia now. Uh, I, that was pretty <laughs> powerful for me to see. That was really powerful. Uh, yeah, and I, I think it was powerful that it came from uh, Steph Green, who I thought this yeah. episode was perhaps one of the best for me, uh, an exciting new director in the world of Star Wars. And <laughs> from such a storied uh, part of film history is is Dean Gundy uh, to be like, this is what storytelling often is of mm-hmm. um, you take these known ingredients and they either moved you or you know that they moved audiences and you take these ingredients and you don't just uh, remake the same dish. You take an ingredient from here, an ingredient from here, and you make a new dish. And, you know, I'd argue it, that's what Star Wars is. You know, when it came out in yeah. 1977, it was like mind blowing because no one had ever seen anything like this. And yet they could identify every little part of like, <laughs> every beat, well, yeah. that's ancient and repeated uh, mythology. That's Kurosawa. That's uh, got some, you know, synergy with uh, Dune. That is directly from a Flash Gordon serial. Yeah. We're all still here all of these years later discussing it because uh, it so successfully did what's being described here is take known ingredients and make a new dish. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's, um, it seems so simple. Sometimes it feels like a, like a cheat, right? When you hear even it just it's not just what worked before, it's what moved us before. Find yeah. what moved us before and, and take that forward. Yeah. And I'd argue that, you know, that's what a, a ton of things are that aren't even the the bigger genre pop culture things like Star Wars or superheroes. But like that that's you know, Scorsese is perfectly well aware of, you know, um gangster pictures that were made before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and he is filtering them through his perspective, his life experience, the years that he was alive, but he's still drawing on them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, multiple individual characters and actors are highlighted. I'm just going to uh, run through a, a quick list and then we'll we'll dive in. Uh, they spend some time with Mayor Mock Shays. There's a discussion of uh, creatures like this appearing on set, making it like Christmas every day. Mm. Uh, they discuss uh, uh, the power of seeing the hammerhead mayor, as Robert Rodriguez calls him, referring to the Authorian's uh, original action figure uh, name, Hammerhead. Uh, uh, Filoni talks about the history of the voice translator box that Athorians needs and how that was established for the Clone Wars, and here it is in live action. Whole big Mayor Mokshe celebration. Uh, then we have a great clip of costume designer uh, Shauna Tripik. Uh, I admit, I um, apologize, I do not know how to pronounce her last name, uh, but she talks about having stacks of Star Wars books, even Battlefront ones, she says, uh, for references. <laughs> talks about the sheer volume of work, 300 new costumes just for the sanctuary scenes. Uh, yeah. Actor Jennifer Beals descri- describes uh, her experience uh, and describes Garza Whip as a mashup of Rick from Rick's Cantina in the film Casablanca with Beyonce and Lauren Bacall. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's a discussion of uh, Black Chrysanthemum. Filoni says there have been many not Chewbacca Wookiees uh, in the EU and other storytelling. And the big challenge is always how do kids immediately see that that's not Chewbacca? Actor Kerry Jones talks about using his body language and his eyes to communicate that Chrysanthemum is, quote, always pissed. Uh, hmm. We learned that Kerry Jones, or I learned, uh, Kerry Jones also has a practical effects experience, and he's really impressed by the mask tech uh, that corresponds to his own mouth and brow movements and translates those to Chrysanthemum. So a whole big section here of lots of characters, lots of ideas being celebrated. What in this section was intriguing to you? Two big things. Well, uh, three. 
Filoni kind of fanboying over his own show uh, being represented <laughs> was really fun. And I get it, right? I get it. And and, and it's for so many years, the Clone Wars was probably this thing down the hall. And at one point was the only new Star Wars thing out, of course, but just this idea of, hey, we're, we're up, we're doing this crazy cartoon and we don't even know if it's going to connect with the larger uh, Star Wars audience. And to have it, um, have it not only do that, it just kind of be Star Wars for so many fans in that generation. Mm-hmm. And those, and so I get it. I really love that Dave just kind of like, hey, how cool is this? We did it in cartoon land and now it's in real, real world, which I don't want to make that sound like the two mediums are, you know, one's better than the other, but it's just, it, it's pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool for Dave and, and all those who worked on the Clone Wars. But I love, so I love, I love Garcia Webb. I've talked about that. I think Jennifer Beale is just so perfect in the role. Loved hearing uh, what she brought to it. Uh, loved hearing the designs that go into it. And that was pretty cool. And then, yeah, the Carrie Jones stuff w- was awesome. And yeah, with him and, and a, lot, a lot of stunt performers getting uh, roles that, um, you know, stunt performers don't normally uh, get. Uh, it, it happened so many times in Book of Boba Fett. Really just love that. But I love the discussion of Kersantan because it wasn't, they didn't say Kersantan. They didn't say Black Kersantan from Marvel Comics. I'd love to hear that discussion. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear, um, hey, John, what about this guy? And uh, John doing his own research, which he has said he's done, uh, particularly the Cobb Van stuff. He talked about, yeah, yeah, I was researching where the armor went and stumbled on these books. I love all that. Uh, but I love that they didn't talk about it in this particular episode because so many people don't know, including, uh, you know, my own fiance was like, ah, cool, that's evil Chewbacca. <laughs> uh, right, and, and that's how it works. And so, for Dave, to describe why it works, why it needs to work, um, why you, it, they don't rely on oh, comic guy, they don't. It's it, it it works on so many levels because of this approach. So I like seeing the insight there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I really uh, like what you're saying about the Filoni fanboying <laughs> yeah. over the the Clone Wars idea. But I also liked what he really ex- expressed that this is another example of how everything is connected is yeah. Yeah. sometimes you run into similar problems of like, well, Athorians have these great weird whale song voices, but uh, we don't want a subtitle. And I think that was a real explicit choice in Clone Wars to make it accessible, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, because Lucas wanted it to be for kids of all ages. Um so okay, we don't we don't necessarily want to do that. So then, how do you solve that problem? And the idea of that problem coming up, <laughs> and Filoni going, "We solved that years ago," <laughs> is really cool yeah. of, of storytelling problems and, and yeah. potential solutions. Um, I always love hearing from the costume designers. I'd love to see even mm-hmm. more in costumes. Uh, that's always an interesting story to me. Um, I really like Jennifer Beals. Um, it's so funny that that discussion. Uh, or description of Garza Whip as uh, Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. she does have this style and this control and command. Um, it, and, but in particular, likening it to Rick's Cantina from Casablanca. Yeah. Not only is Casablanca an amazing film, it really does have some, some pretty deep Star Wars connections from mm-hmm. uh, the philosophy uh, of what's going on in the romance and in the political battle and when do you choose to get involved and uh, when is it not your problem all those kinds of ideas are there but the idea of the the obviously rick's cantina is an influence in many cantinas and bars in star wars mm. but it really it really resonated with me with the sanctuary of this is a place where we don't live you know there's a lot of rough things going on in the galaxy mm. and, and there are a lot of rough things going on right here and this is a place for everybody to take a break and and be in a nice place <laughs> yeah. is one of what makes the sanctuary really great and unique. 
Yeah, and driven by Garcia Whip's abilities to read everyone, to uh, unite mm-hmm. everyone at least for one night at a time, you know, and and that and how that did uh, show through through her performances of Garcia Whip. Yeah, such a fan of the character, and uh, you know, uh, so happy to have her in Star Wars, which is still kind of weird, right? It's still weird when you, yeah. Dean Cundy, Jennifer Beals, all these people pop up in Star Wars. <laughs> it, it, Christopher Lloyd coming down. I love that. I love that, and and it works, and and uh, loved hearing it. Yeah, and and the, and the Casablanca thing is. Uh, it tracks, it makes sense, right? You kind of go, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And then you kind of dig in a little deeper and it, it makes even more sense. Yeah, yeah. And final thought for me, um, I just, I love the Chris Hanton section partially because I just found Carrie Jones so charming. He was yeah. so uh, yeah. likable and engaged and seemed like such a friendly person. And then they we cut from these fun interviews with him to those <laughs> absolutely devastatingly scary looks he was able to give. And like, that's acting. It absolutely is. It's such an inspired choice because we talked about it and everyone uh, with a Star Wars podcast or even just in your break room at work talked about Chris Santin's eyes, just those mm-hmm. looks. And yes, the tech and the mask and everything and and, and, and how amazing we, we are uh, where we are now. But really, that's all in that performer uh, and telling the story through the eyes. Amazing. And the connection between, you know, Mayhew and, and, the, and the sweet, uh, the sweetness mm. of Chewbacca that comes through Mayhew's eyes. And, and uh, it, Carrie Jones doesn't look like a, he's going to rip your arms off, <laughs> but he, maybe he could. But uh, it, he was able to tap into something different. And it was why, why it was so effective. Yeah, it was really, really great. Uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss a lot more big ideas and interesting moments in Disney Gallery Book of Boba Fett. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And we're back to continue our discussion about Disney Gallery, Book of Boba Fett, the behind-the-scenes story of the season of television known <laughs> as Book of Boba Fett. Well, we're going to talk about that. What kind of season is it? Uh, but first, we're going to the Rancor. There is a lot of great Rancor talk. Uh, in particular, uh, Favreau says the most memorable part of Patissa in Return of the Jedi was Malakili crying. Uh, significantly, he does not use those names. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> he says the you're Rancor right. Keeper. He's not. He's not uh, spilling out Malakili trivia like uh, Filoni probably would. Did, did you? I was gonna say. Did you imagine Filoni behind him and Zegon? Uh, his uh, Malakili was the Malak. Uh, 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 they, they think it's Patisa. Maybe Patisa Mucci might be. We, we, okay, I'll, I'll go sit down. <laughs> I really did. Uh, I was kind of hoping for Favreau was talking as we're going to discuss. So. Uh, wonderfully and intelligently about the Rancor Keeper that I, I kept wanting him to go. And he's got a name. It's Mika Malala. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know the heart of the idea. That's the important thing. Yeah. So uh, he talks about how much uh, the the uh, Rancor Keeper, Malakili crying, was really impactful in Return of the Jedi and fascinating. Uh, Danny Trejo, there's a great interview where he describes the Rancor as a big doggy. And says, uh, mm. just like dogs, you, you can train them to be vicious or a protector or a puppy. It is about uh, the training often. Uh, Doug Chang talks about how uh, they were inspired in how to realize the Rancor in Book of Boba Fett, that they were inspired by the practical Rancor hand that grabs Luke in Return of the Jedi mm. and said, let's go all out. <laughs> Doug yes. Chang enthuses about, if Boba's going to ride a Rancor, uh, we need a Big, real Rancor head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, fascinating stuff. Uh, but what what came out of it for me, Ken, is that clearly a ton of the Rancor being used at all in Book of Boba Fett is inspired by the past of what the Rancor was like um, story-wise and physically in Return of the Jedi. How do you think this Rancor was new, even though it was interpreted, uh, or inspired, rather, by the past? I think what's new is what they really took time to bring to the story. This has been one of our, our, our one of our most discussed scenes here on Force Center. It's one that has absolutely moved me. Uh, the, the stuff of Treo and and what he's saying and 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 uh, the change and and Boba petting him like a dog. It's it's literally one of my favorite scenes in the last five six years of Star Wars, hands mm-hmm. down. And so I think this this new Rancor brought all that. It brought the, the the bigger themes to it that are there. And it's very interesting. It's not just a funny joke. It's a funny moment. Growing up, especially our generation, uh, who for years, like, I remember the rank our keeper cried. Uh, but that did leave an imprint on all of us. It was one of the first times it made, not not that Luke was wrong or you saw the other side of the Jedi, not that deeper stuff. But it, it just, 
it was a wrinkle in the discussion, right? To me, uh, rank, rank or evil scared me as a kid, monster, monster. But here's someone crying over it. What does that mean? And so for them to take all that and build on that, that's what was new to me, just the exploration of, of uh, the big themes and the connections and w- what you are and what you, you know, what you can be is all big. We've talked about it so many times, but that's what I took out of it. I, and how it isn't just simply, hey, there was a rancor. We, sh- we, we need a rancor. That's where it starts, but then you build it and it becomes more than the rancor just, rancor just having a cameo. It becomes, mm-hmm. it comes with great purpose. Yeah, no, it's what I really loved hearing. I, I really loved uh, Favreau zeroing in on this. Like, it, and it really sounded like he's had uh, the original trilogy era playground in bar discussions because mm. he even gives that caveat of like Luke was fighting for his life. It's not Luke's fault. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm not going to blame him, but I've always had that relationship, you know, that you and I have talked about of like, even as a kid, I perceived like, Oh, I, I'm sure people in the theater laughed when I saw it. And it's like, I get that that's supposed to be a joke, but ouch. Mm. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I loved my uh, poodle uh, dusty that we had when I was growing up at that age is before uh, we had our Chihuahua Nico. I, I loved, uh, Dusty so much and I think around that time I had got in trouble at school because we've been asked to write down our family members and I included Dusty the Poodle and the teacher thought I was making a joke and I got yelled at and like oh no the, the, the dog's part of the family yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so coming at it from that perspective I felt all the things that that everybody is talking about of like mm-hmm. okay but that makes the rancor entirely different it's not a scary monster yeah it's a friend it's a part of the family. What does that mean? Uh, so all these years later to have them do what I think is this is the value of that tip of the iceberg storytelling where, uh, you know, the movies, uh, you know, will throw out like this, this door. It will establish this door, you know, crack mm-hmm. open just a little bit and you get to look inside. And that's so much been the journey of the Mandalorian book of Boba Fett to say like, well, if that's true, let's look at it as fully as yeah. we can. And that's what the journey with the Rancor if it's true from this one weird beat that the rancor has feelings, is sentient, can be loved, uh, can make uh, choices, uh, how can we explore that in more depth? Yeah, uh, absolutely love what you're saying there and and, and use it to great effect. And and, and then it, it, even as you're talking, I'm wondering, like, who do I blame back in the back in the, uh, the Jabba days? <laughs> I, I don't because I don't even know if it's Malakili. He just might have been doing his job. And we do learn a little bit more about Malakili, uh, thanks to Windig and the Aftermath series. And I think he might have a heart of gold. He's an animal guy. He's got to. He's got yeah. to. And then maybe it no, came this, down from Jabba. Oh, yeah, that's the me. Is it, it, It's like this is expected. Like that yeah. That the uh, the person who's controlling this part of town uh, or, or part of the mm-hmm. galaxy has a menagerie. Like that's mm-hmm. like, it's like you know, uh, Maul probably has a menagerie. It's expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of gangsters, you know. And then it, it puts uh, Patissa in this light of somebody uh, uh, who is suffering under Jabba as well, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and, and the whole, the whole sequence too, the, the bringing in the Doug Chang part of it, it just, there's a little bit more of getting, again, that end, indie, indie spirit, big budget. <laughs> and, and it sometimes it might be a little easier to say, well, what if we do this? Let's go all out, but you still got to do it. You still got to try it and you still got to make it happen. Yeah. And that's the other thing I was moved by, or I guess not moved by is like, if it was a conversation in person, I want to be like, okay, was that a battle? Did you take a budget mm. from something else? Did you have to go to Kathleen Kennedy's head with a PowerPoint mm. presentation on, or Kathleen Kennedy's, excuse me, Kathleen Kennedy's office with yeah. a PowerPoint expression, you yeah. know, uh, say, this is why we need a full rancor yeah. head. You know, was it a yeah. battle to get that money or is it like, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I and I love going back to um, you know them re- referring to uh, some of the stuff with Phil Tippett and everything back in the day. Mm-hmm. That kind of behind the scenes lore, just such a part of Star Wars. But they have that to draw upon. And so then, then again, the same spirit too. Of remember, they tried it a few times, and how do we get this work? Uh, maybe Phil Tippett in a costume. Maybe this. So uh, same spirit and same connection. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so moving on, we could talk about Rancor all day. But uh, in discussing Din Djarin's role in the Book of Boba Fett, both Filoni and Favreau discuss Boba Fett, or rather the Book of Boba Fett, as another season. Filoni says, we both like Mando, and we felt that it would be difficult for us to go a whole season without seeing him. Favreau talks about the Night of a Thousand Tears and having that backstory uh, finally come out three seasons into our storytelling. So this has been something that, of course, uh, fans have had lots of different uh, uh, opinions on. Totally understandable. I think even casual viewers being confused that this is a book of Boba Fett. And then there are two episodes where he's not in it or barely in it. And we're really focusing on the story of Din Djarin and Grogu. At one point, uh, they had thrown out that this was kind of Mandalorian season 2.5. Uh, But this is uh, confirmation that the creators, at least confirmation to me, that the creators uh, approach this as sort of season three of the Mandoverse, of this overall story of uh, armored people making different choices. (laughs) So (laughs) hearing that, where do you where do you sit with that debate, hearing this perspective of them kind of casually referring to it as another season or the third season? Where do I sit with that debate? Uh, I, I do this because uh, I just had this this past weekend at a, a competitive trivia show taping. Someone took a shot at uh, Boba Fett not appearing enough in his own show. And I went like this. I got nothing for you, man. Uh, <laughs> like I, it, it, I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I really do. It was different. Again, I use that word stubborn a lot to describe the show. because mm-hmm. It's just like, here's what we're going to do. But to hear it, what again, they didn't come out and say, all right, so this that we view this as a Mandoverse. It's just in it's in the words, it's in the wordings of mm-hmm. uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this this a whole we couldn't go a whole season. It's just the continued story, and, and 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 the debates and the silly debates on well, here's what a book is, and here's what a book could be, and here's what the show. Just just sit back and enjoy Star Wars t- storytelling in this one era. Mm-hmm. Only thing, oh, that that is the only thing I got for you. So yes, I'm with you. I think it was kind of confirmed from from a certain point of view, maybe. Uh, does not mean I don't understand. Well, that was a curveball. Uh, I, I totally get it, but I, I, I think it, it will make more sense in time. Number one, uh, and two, what a joy that you get to experience this. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. I think I liked hearing that. Uh, I perceived with, uh, I think, just from some of the verb tense that this was these interviews were done during production. You know. Correct. Yeah. Um, So I think it it was revealing about this is how we are approaching it. Because I think there are some lines of like, this is what we're trying to do. We hope that comes across, you know, yeah. yeah. it it doesn't seem like looking back. Um, So for me, it was great insight that they approached it, whatever terminology they used, that they approached the book of Boba Fett as a part of the whole story. We're going to talk a little later about how Favreau was even really drawing specific connections between the journeys of Boba Fett and Din that this is a, a, a story of armored hunters choosing new paths and mm-hmm. how does that work and, and how are they the same and how are they different that to them, it was clearly a part of this whole overall story with mm-hmm. that is always really understand, really acknowledge uh, anybody who is confused or annoyed. Um, uh, my wife really enjoyed it all. But she's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, was, I was really in that Boba Fett mood. And then I, I, you know, I enjoyed everything I saw, but it took me a while to get into it. Cause I was like, 
I wanted to be with Boba Fett and Fennec. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I really get it. Totally understand. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it ultimately works for me because all of these uh, thematic ideas are going on and also uh, that, that intertwine. And also because, you know, uh, the stuff with uh, Din Djarin and Grogu is real interesting. <laughs> uh, helps for me, you know? So I think that's part of it is like, totally get that this is maybe a weird curveball. Maybe they even should have tried to communicate it to fans better uh, at the beginning, all valid opinions and valid discussions. But at the end of the day, particularly if you're a really invested Star Wars fan, you just want to accept that this is the way it is and try to enjoy what's there. I, what's the tra- trade off? So let's say, let's say y'all, you're all right about that, right? Uh, they, they did this wrong. Okay. So then you want to subtract those two wonderful episodes do you put them in another season? All right, maybe that's the discussion. Maybe that's fair. Uh, and yeah, you, you, you know, uh, your wife Sarah is not alone in that. And I've had many discussions with folks of just like, hey, I wanted, I want more Boba Fett and Fennec, which is a testament to Boba Fett and Fennec. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe an eight, an eighth episode. But I also don't think we're done with them in that story. And what I love that the thing in here of of them talking about, yes. Yeah, so in season two, Amanda, we bring Boba Fett back. We like what's going on. Even Robert. Robert Rodriguez talking about, yeah, they came to me. And we're like, Hey, you're doing pretty You want to, you want to keep doing this? Want to executive produce another store, a larger story with this. And that John uh, kind of intimates that he, that they saw that thought about it, ruminated a little bit and did go to uh, uh, Kathleen Kennedy's office to speak with her and get into her head, as you said earlier <laughs> and say, Hey, we had this thought. Why don't we follow this for a bit? Why don't we follow this and see where this takes us and see how it all connects to a larger story. Uh, that's, that's the biggest takeaway I got from that. Yeah, yeah, really powerful stuff. My my final thought on this is I'm very interested with both, you know, Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian uh, panels going on uh, at uh, at Celebration, if there'll be any acknowledgement of some of the fan confusion or frustration uh, about uh, the those episodes. Yeah, yeah. Right, fine. And maybe an announcer in a commercial says, part of the Mandoverse. All right, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Moving on. Uh, Doug Chang takes us on a very emotional and one journey. Talks about designing it for the Phantom Menace uh, with George Lucas as the F1 version mm. of an X-Wing. Uh, he discusses how he got the opportunity during the production of the Phantom Menace to sit in the original uh, model of the uh, ship that he designed. And then 23 years later, sitting in this new hot rod version. Favreau talks about the connection to American graffiti and the tradition of hot rodding classic cars and how that's baked into Star Wars. And uh, it was something that they really wanted to explore. Mm. So for you, uh, we've talked a lot about what the N1 means and about the the history of hot riding and about the history of, of racing and generational change, even in Book of Boba Fett. Mm. How does seeing the real human side, the, the Doug Chang side mm. of the N1's journey uh, impact you or, or impact your, your appreciation for the story? I just, I just can't stop smiling when you see Doug Chang smiling. <laughs> just really can't. Um, because it is a bit of a, of a victory of the prequels, as we discussed when we just broke down that episode of he designs this, this beautiful design. It never wasn't a beautiful design. It was a beautiful mm-hmm. design from the start, but it's a movie that, that has a lot of baggage attached to it for a long time. Uh, and, and still does. Like I still does. I still have mm-hmm. the discussions mm-hmm. of, wait, you wait, 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 time out, time out. You, you like the Phantom Menace? This is at my own birthday party. Like, come on. Uh, so, I had one of those discussions just the other day about like, I know you like them, but come on. <laughs> like it, the <laughs> discussion is still there. 
And you're like, sir, this is an Arby's. Just give me my sandwich. I want to go. Um, yeah. So, but to see him just in the cockpit, to see the design, see it fully realized, uh, and then see it matter in the story uh, and what they're pulling from the history of just George's own life as as a car guy, as as someone who nearly lost his life in a in a, in a car race. Like, I mean, it, it's so I don't know. There's just so much I love about it. It just brings joy and and uh, and, and and again done with great purpose. And that's all mm-hmm. I really want out of all of this stuff. Um, and, and sometimes there's little things along the way, you know, you know Max Rebo playing, uh, you know, is, is one of my favorite things. It was a great purpose to it. We'll find out, but it was just fun. That one I put on a shelf is a fun little thing to, to, to draw on from the, the figures that I loved as a kid. And, and that character's there, but this, the M N one is not a throwaway. It's done mm-hmm. with great purpose, great storytelling effect. And, and that made me love it even more. Yeah. Well, when the Disney Plus show uh, Max Rebo Can't Die comes out, uh, yeah. I think everything that was layered in about uh, yeah, <laughs> him not look, being at the sanctuary. At, at Star Wars <laughs> Celebration, look for me in my Hit It Max uh, t-shirt designed by the great Brian Ward. <laughs> That's what I'll be wearing every day, I think. So I, I love it. But you know what I mean? Where it's just like, it didn't I have, do. I yeah, do. It, does, it, it didn't have a great purpose. It had a purpose. Whereas the N1, it wasn't like, eh, let's just grab some random ship that people like. Uh, and then Bryce Dallas Howard just directs the hell out of that episode. Yeah, no, I mean, what it means to Din, uh, the idea that he can be something new, that he can embrace uh, a sense of freedom in a sense of fun. Uh, all of that is is baked in. It isn't just the like, hey, Star Wars has a tradition of hot rods, so let's throw that in. And it's aesthetically cool. It was so tied to Din's journey and that journey so tried to uh, Boba Fett's journey of change that it absolutely had such resonance. And and I think for me, I, I was already ready to be emotional about it. But what really struck me is, you know, going going being a young man during the the Phantom Menace uh, backlash in particular, I don't remember anyone ever being mean toward Doug Chang, mm. but I certainly remember conversations about some friends I had who were like the N one was cool and that was it. That was the only thing they liked. And I had some friends who were even like, the N1 is cool, but it's not Star Wars. You know, what, what's this shiny, sleek ship about? It should be, you know, uh, I heard negativity about the N1. I heard negativity about the designs. Again, nobody ever being cruel to Doug Chang as a, as a person, but definitely a, he's no Ralph McQuarrie vibe. He was the new guy, you yes. know, who wasn't yeah. doing Star Wars right. Yeah. And to go all these years and then to see this human this artist as the venerable accomplished uh, only middle age as a human but mm. elder states person yeah. <laughs> of star wars design spoken with reverence because yeah. he's the storied person who's been there forever that's just a beautiful thing to 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 live through and to see him physically experience it of i got to be in the original version they love my designs they wanted to, to come back in this different way and I get to sit in it and they take me on a ride in the volume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Zipping Everyone me around. Claps. Everyone claps. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it was so great to, to, to live through that arc of like, well, this isn't right to, this is beloved, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And here's a celebration of this human who is responsible for that design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, very powerful stuff. We're going to move on to some more powerful stuff. And that is the entire Luke process. Um, we see that uh, Mark Hamill uh, was in the Luke costume 
acting out all of the scenes uh, with Grogu, with uh, with Rosario Dawson. Uh, we see uh, Mark Hamill uh, talk about uh, his understanding of the scenes of Luke having to suppress his sentimental, sentimental side so he can really imbue Grogu with the skills that Grogu needs. Uh, and then we learn that with infrared dots, uh, Graham Hamilton also performed uh, the Luke Skywalker scenes. And then uh, tech wizard Richard Bluff talks about uh, how they did use deep fake tech as reference in Luke's appearance uh, during season two of Mandalorian, but they couldn't get the resolution required. So of all the tech involved, deep fake wasn't a part of that. But then for the book of Boba Fett, there was an even larger collaboration between many artists, John Knoll, Landis Fields, Peter Demarest, uh, and a YouTuber known as Shamuk, a real name, Sam Head, who Lucasfilm hired after he posted a deep fake version of Luke mm. in season two of The Mandalorian. It was a lot. It was dizzying. Uh, mm. What was intriguing to you about all the behind the scenes details from the acting, the storytelling to the technology? I'll start with the tech thing, because number one, it's the thing I understand the least, right? Um, that's why I'm not, uh, you know, uh, in, in any edit bay uh, making magic happen. Um, I was fascinated by that particular section. Go with me here. Richard Bluff, Hal Hickel, a lot of the people we've gotten to know through these uh, Mando galleries and whatnot. I, I remember there being a little bit of pushback. I, I, I don't know if I know from Richard Bluff, and I don't want to accuse Hal of it too, but there was a little bit of pushback to some of the deep fake stuff being tweeted at them, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I kind of remember yep. that. And so there was a little bit of, uh, Richard, we need you to stand here and tell us all how we got from that to this. <laughs> And it was a little, yeah. I'm not saying it was like a prepared statement and he got, he drew the short straw and had to do it. I just, there had a little bit of a vibe of like, look, we under, we understand. Here's why the first one maybe didn't look as good as y'all wanted it to be. And maybe we knew it wasn't as good as we could make it at that time, but technology grows and changes. And we are part of that. And, and we did uh, reach out to someone who does do amazing work. And, and I, so I liked it. I think there's a great spirit behind it, but it was the only I don't even say awkward, but you know what I mean? Like it was, it just, it read different than any other part of the doc. There, there was definitely a, I think maybe a, uh, I, I approached it the, the same way as you, because there can be this controversy of hiring a YouTuber. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, that, that is a thing to, to be aware of and, and to have opinions about, I think of, Hey, great. If there is somebody who has, who has a great command of a specific, uh, technological skill. Hey, why not bring them in? That's great. Um, this version of Luke, this much longer appearance, a uh, different approach did look mm -hmm. great to me. Did look yes, yeah. better than season two of Mandalorian. So is that part that's great. There's that other part I think of like, what uh, have we opened Pandora's box and is yeah. everybody, uh, you know, from doing uh deep fakes to uh, little films with their action figures going to be tweeting that Lucasfilm should hire me. <laughs> and that there's almost a, I am going to tell you clearly and calmly exactly the entire process. So everything is above board and everybody knows everything. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it, it felt a little like um, a great professional delivering a press release. So everybody knows what's what. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. That's I, I actually really agree with that 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 statement of yes, we are acknowledging that because they even showed the tweet, right? They showed the tweet, mm -hmm. acknowledge it, 
And here's why. And and because you talk about arguments, he almost got in over the weekend. I almost got in a Facebook. I, like when I say almost, like I stopped. My, they didn't say anything to me. They just posted on their own Facebook page. So it would have been me going onto their lawn and causing a problem. <laughs> they, were, they showed the the reimagined Vader Kenobi New Hope fight. They were like, this is this is this is the better than anything Disney era. This is my, the only retcon. He used this phrase. This is the only retcon. All I, I, I'm I'm on board for in this in these last five years or so. And I was like on my keyboard <laughs> ready to type. I was like, that, that would be this, that would be wrong of me. That'd be wrong of me. Um, so there is, and I get, you clearly, clearly get grumpy about it where someone's like, Hey, look at this, this fan film did it way better. Uh, okay. But there doesn't, doesn't mean there isn't talent and passion involved in those, those projects, uh, the fan fic stuff for the fan films, or even just a, a person going, Hey, here's what I can do with my own uh, tech and my own skills. And and I think it was smart for Lucasfilm and everyone involved to go, hey, we do we are continuing to work with this and grow with it and push the boundaries as as uh, you know morally challenging those boundaries might seem to some folks, um, mm. which I get that discussion. Anyways, I, I, all that to say, it was a weird moment for me, and I and I, I love talking about it with you because that press release thing kind of kind of kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I I don't understand all of it, but uh, on a technical level, but I understand the. I think he communicated clearly that hey, we are trying to do the spirit of Star Wars, the spirit of George Lucas, it, use groundbreaking technology to try to do something that hasn't been done fully yeah. before, so you can tell a, a story a certain way. And anytime you're doing something groundbreaking, it's going to grow. Uh, and the older one is going to look different. And that's the process we're engaged in now. And mm-hmm. uh, the overall spirit of we want this um, to be amazing. So the storytelling is amazing and we're going to keep evolving and keep uh, learning and keep embracing new ideas that came across. That that absolutely came across. Cause if they, if they crossed their arm and got stubborn about it, like I probably would have, if I was in the job, <laughs> it would have not looked as, as good. And I do think it looked it just so much better. Number one, but just, I think it looked really good. Even watching the scenes here in, in, in the special, it just reminded me of, it really did work for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agreed. Um, let's talk a little bit more then about the storytelling side of it, the yeah. acting side of it, the, the, uh, revelation that mark hamill uh was involved uh, uh not a revelation he's credited but getting to really see in what way was he standing off to the side or this uh, i guess revelation that he's in the costume yeah. acting the whole thing how'd you feel about that uh, i loved it uh, i mean you could even say he co-directed those scenes just on the clips they show he's really there uh when, when graham's on set of just like hey here's what i would do and here's how to play it and it's not just that Graham's as a as an actor this graham hamilton isn't just copying that he's going okay cool let me take that and put that into my performance of it it was it was wonderful. Shows the love and passion and 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 ownership uh, Mark Hamill has over Luke uh, in a good way. I mean that in a good way. Uh, he he talks often about hey I, I I they rent me for the role every now and then. I let it go after that. That was a lot of the last Jedi conversation. But he brings his all. Uh, it is part absolutely part a big part of his legacy clearly, and it just works and it's effective. And I've I've seen some folks complain that well why was he even on set if you're just going to erase him? Uh, that's how you put it all together. And it's no different than. Uh, Ian McDiarmid being off camera while Padme, uh, you know, with Natalie Portman's uh, reading the Padme lines or, or Adam Driver showing up for all the force connection scenes with uh, Daisy Ridley and, and vice versa. Uh, I think it's the same thing when you build any scenes. You need to get the spirit. You need to get it right. And this showed that uh, they did to me get it right. Whether or not you agree with what they did with the voice 
uh, uh, afterwards, and, and which I, I, it, it confuses me at best, <laughs> weirds <laughs> me out, maybe at worst. Um, but it, it just showed that it was again put together with great care. Yeah, and I think for me is uh, from my own experiences, uh, writing, acting, directing, putting something like this together. It is huge to take the words on the page and then have Mark Hamill be the one who who says, I'm going to walk through the scene. I'm going to break down, uh, break it all down. I'm going to make the choices. And even the little clips of dialogue we hear, they're very much about making choices about mm-hmm. like, when does he pause because he's affected by uh, what he perceives Gro- Grogu is feeling? Mm-hmm. What does he think Grogu is feeling? At what beat is uh, is Luke perceiving that? How does Luke react to that? Those are the choices he's making. He's not just mm-hmm. walking through and saying some lines. He is, along with the writers and the directors, defining the scene and yeah. therefore defining the character. It's big. Yeah, huge, huge. I absolutely think it's huge. Um, he, he was involved um, uh, more than I, I even thought, uh, just the fact that he was there. And, and, and um, I mean, I, I, I knew he was there, but I mean, just, the, just listening to what they captured with him on set, talking about it all, uh, more than I expected. Yeah. And then the other thing for me, extremely impressive that at Mark Hamill's age, he can sit in that folded leg Jedi pose, no problem. Okay, but that, let me, was, was that like... <laughs> Was that like a Marty Short when he was in Rested Development, uh, you know, type of fake leg prop? Thing? It, it really freaked me out. No, just really. I, I want to know. Uh, I want Mark Hamill to make an exercise video of like a Please. joint health uh, in in humans as they Please. age. Please. That was that was like the one of the most impressive parts. Uh, no, when absolutely, as someone with uh, who, who uh, you know is, is continuing to, to his, his workout journey and has a lower back issue that uh, I can't even uh, uh, pick over, uh, pick bend over, pick up a, a pen if I drop it. Like, how did he do that? God bless him. Great. Very, very impressive. Uh, yeah. A lot of great stuff there. And just fun to see, uh, obviously, as well, the uh, Rosario Dawson's reaction that she's working with Mark oh. Hamill, not Plo oh. Koon. Great yeah. stuff. Okay. Could I ask you this question, though? Yeah. How much, uh, how many more times uh, can Dave Filoni get away with the Plo <laughs> Koon surprise? That that was my reaction, too, of like totally understandable, uh, busy actor, different yeah. time yeah. frame. She, she, she probably didn't sit down and read, you know, uh, Art of Mandalorian season two book, uh, you know, yeah. before this. Um, and I love that she is aware enough to be like, okay, how's that work timeline wise? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I'll, I know who Plo Koon is. I know when he died. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll, I'll find out when I get there uh, and then spring that surprise. Yeah, but at this point, it's like, yeah, I mean, uh, Filoni is going to be, you know, the director who cried uh, Plo Koon, not the boy who <laughs> cried wolf, but the director who cried Plo Koon. Like, come on. Yeah, I love it. You know, because he's just, he, he just, he's fiendish. He giggles. He's like, yeah, I did it again. <laughs> I did it again. I pulled another Plo Koon, if you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> great stuff. Uh, and just her, her joy. Yeah. That was, that was, that was fun. Uh, so speaking of Dave Filoni, uh, there is a section here where Filoni focuses on the fathers. Uh, Filoni says that Qui-Gon Jinn's methodology would have funneled through Obi-Wan to Luke. So Luke is perhaps uh, more of the methodology of Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, he also talks about the general importance of this line of training uh, that Qui-Gon's uh, methodology might as well might have uh, flown uh, from Obi-Wan to Anakin and from Anakin uh, to uh, Ahsoka as well. So what do you think the this importance of the, the chain of training is? And, uh, and what do you think the Qui-Gon methodology is? 
I'm sure Filoni has uh, many, <laughs> many thoughts on, on what that is. Uh, but in this particular, maybe that was edited out. We don't get into what that methodology is, just that that connection is there. I, I'm sure in 2005 at local Burbank bars, he had many conversations about Qui-Gon's methodology and everyone said, please shut up, Dave, shut up, Dave. <laughs> um, I love that. I actually love that. I love I love that stuff. And this is where, where Dave really uh, does uh, connect with me as a fan. I, I love hearing him talk about this stuff. And I think Qui-Gon's, I don't know, Qui-Gon's methodology, just everything about him to me, it, it connects with Luke with, um, I don't know, exploring the margins of, of uh, the Force, exploring the margins of the Jedi Order, uh, digging in and finding out what's really there and, and not just moving beyond the rules, but finding the true spirit of, of what they're supposed to be doing and what they're supposed to be about and what they're supposed to accomplish. And that allows Luke to do what Dave says here of, uh, you know, I'm presenting some choices, uh, not necessarily leaning in any way with you here. I'm just saying here's some choices and, and, and I know what this might mean to you. And I have this experience and, and that that's a bit of free thinking inside the structure of the Jedi that I think Qui-Gon has that Obi-Wan at times butted up against this, this we know. And, mm-hmm. and uh, what, what is he, where does he come around with some of that? Uh, often sometimes what you're taught, and fight against early on, maybe later on you you find it is part of you and you don't even know that. I don't know. So some of that stuff and that makes sense for Obi-Wan to pass it on. Um, so anyways, that's just kind of my, my general thoughts of how it can connect to Luke, particularly Luke in, in this episode, in this moment. Yeah. And I like the idea that Obi-Wan in his older age and his uh, older experiences um, understands a little bit more where Qui-Gon is coming from and might have passed that on to Luke a, a bit more. Um, yeah. I think I was excited to hear this discussion because it, Obviously, this is the kind of thing, like you said, Valoni uh, is a is a fan, and he probably would have uh, had a ton of great, insightful things to say about Qui Gon's methodology in 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as of right now, when this interview was taking place, it's it's very intriguing to me of uh, where is his head at as he moves into Ahsoka storytelling and yeah, absolutely the importance of of lineage and the line of of training and mm-hmm. what do you learn from your master? What do you evolve past your mentors on? Um, it, it, and all that kind of great, great ideas. Uh, and to me, it just it, it ultimately it related to Luke and what happens with Grogu, which we'll talk about. Mm. Uh, but it, it also just made me think of he's really thinking about what makes Ahsoka who she is. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in terms of what the Qui-Gon methodology is, I really agree with you. I think the short version of it to me is a focus on what is the spirit of the rules? What is the intent of the rules? What, what is... Uh, what is the outcome that is desired based on those rules, not the letter of the mm-hmm. rules. And anytime that you talk about uh, breaking the rules in, I think it's probably a pretty universally human thing, but it's definitely American thing where we largely mm-hmm. <laughs> defy ourselves. Uh, not largely. It is one of the things where we defy ourselves is we go our own way. We break the rules, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you want us to go uh, this speed limit, you got to post it a little bit lower because we're going to break it. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that is an American thing, uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. which I speak from my experience as an American. Again, uh, I'm sure it's <laughs> universal as well. But I think that can sometimes lead us to if you say, well, Qui-Gon breaks the rules or bends right. the rules. Like, yeah, well, he right. goes his own way and he doesn't even care. And I think it's to me, it's the exact opposite, right? Mm-hmm. It's that this methodology that, I am absolutely pursuing the rules. I am absolutely using the dogma of the Jedi as a guide to what is right. Uh, That's why we came up with these ideas, because they help us uh, push toward the light. And 
at the same time, I have this definition of what I believe is right. It's compassion. It's helping people. It's not ha- causing harm through your actions. It is uh, about pursuing the light and what is right for the sake of it, not to win any game or be better than anyone, but just to do what you feel is right. Uh, so any defying of the rules is not to go gray, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and use the dark side a little bit or, or, or you know, thumb your nose at the establishment. It's that if you butt up against rules or dogma that are failing to meet their own goals in preventing you from helping people, preventing you from reaching the light, then you'll go, okay, well, the rules are meant to be helpful, but they're not right now. So I'm going to continue to to pursue the spirit of them. No, well said. I think it ties to a little bit of what Favre was saying earlier of, of, of if you just have a badass to be a badass, you, you only have half the story. If you just have someone who's breaking the rules, he's a rebel and the Jedi, I know it. If he's just that, it's nothing. It's why. The why of it. It's so big to Star Wars, right? And and yeah, oh God, don't get me started. There was that article going around on Gray and Jedi. Star Wars needs more Gray characters. Ah, nope. Nope. Not Star Wars. <laughs> not for me. Um, and, and it is the great purpose about that. And, 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 and this, you know, the Ahsoka of it all, you mentioned Ahsoka's Dave and his mindset on Ahsoka going into that series, which on the time of this recording uh, began uh, official production today, according to uh, yeah. Twitter. Um, exciting things there. Um, yeah, I think it, it's the great purpose. And, and you're right. I I don't, I think maybe I stopped at one point saying, uh, I think it's easy to interpret Qui-Gon as a rule breaker. He's not. He's, a, he's maybe a rule interpreter. <laughs> he's, a, <laughs> he's someone who did, finds the whole spirit behind it. Yeah, rule adjuster. Yeah, and yeah. I think it so relates to Ahsoka because, again, as, as you and I have talked about our opinion, our interpretation, we'll see what happens with the storytelling, is that uh, Ahsoka isn't denying the Jedi. She's trying to bring them back to uh, their their roots in the true purpose of their rules and their existence. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Filoni also has some great things to say about Luke, which you were uh, alluding to. This is really great. Uh, Filoni discusses how he wanted the audience to feel it would be good for Grogu to be with Luke, that he would get a lot out of that. while also having this understandable emotional pull of wanting Grogu to be with Din Djarin. Uh, Filoni says, I don't think Luke is presenting an argument either way, uh, referring to uh, Luke offering him the choice between the Beskar and the lightsaber and going back to Din versus following the path of the Jedi. Uh, Filoni also says Luke deeply understands what it's like to want to be with your father figure, which makes him quote, a really, really good mentor for Grogu. So how does this, uh, hearing Filoni talk about this moment impact, uh, your opinion of Luke's big choice? Yeah, I think it just reaffirms that that Luke handled it in the right way, and and, and, and that we don't get to see that conversation, right? Uh, we just get a great cliffhanger of, of a television show. But I I think that Luke would would understand either way, and also know that that you 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 know you need to choose either to be here or not to be here, and he gets both sides. Uh, uh, it just simply simply put for me, just like Luke just just really did understand the situation he was in. I agree with Dave. On that one there. Uh, but it's interesting. He says he's a really, really good mentor for Grogu. So to me, I'm like, well, he's given up that role here. So he only had that short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's also this idea like, yeah, no, maybe Luke imparted a lot in a short amount of time, which uh, yeah. we're going to talk about it as well. But also that idea that the door is open. If Grogu mm-hmm. comes back, it's like, I've had five years of wonderful life uh, with my father, Din, and now yeah. I'm ready. I, I understand I wasn't ready. And I am now. And Luke would be great. Yeah. Welcome back, Grogu, you know? Um, 
Yeah, because uh, this is hearing Filoni talk about it really uh, supports um, how much I like this moment. Uh, I understand it's a great it's a great uh, way to debate and discuss philosophy about attachment and how do you balance, uh, you know, sacrifice uh, for service to others versus what you need as a person. Mm. Uh, uh, how much can you have in your life? All those great discussions that people are having. But I always re- really liked it that Luke is offering Grogu a choice. He He's seeing that there's conflict and instead of making a choice for him, instead of pressuring him and saying, stop thinking about your dad, <laughs> mm-hmm. focus, mm-hmm. you have a responsibility. Instead of riding him, like, yeah. frankly, sometimes Obi-Wan did to Anakin. Um, mm. He gives him a choice and says, maybe this isn't for you right now, kid. Maybe you'd rather be with your dad. And I really like Favreau, uh, or Favreau, excuse me, Filoni, focusing on the fact that one of the many ways that Luke understands Grogu is that he went on this whole journey of, I want to be a Jedi like my father, who I think is dead. Turns out my dad didn't exist <laughs> or yeah. does exist. Mm-hmm. And I, and I didn't get to be with them. You know, his, his desire to save him, you know, in return of the Jedi being expressed as get you off the ship so we can spend time together, get you off the death star <laughs> so we can spend time together. Mm-hmm. And Anakin responding is you already have saved me, but still having Luke being like, look, uh, what, what are father figures to me? Um, Mm. Uncle Ben is a <laughs> yeah. smoldering skeleton. Yeah. Obi-Wan died almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I reconnected with my real father, he was no longer there. So yeah, he's really going to understand missing your your dad figure. Mhm. Mhm. And Sporna knows just and we talked about it a lot, but it's it's not the end of the journey and I think you're right, you know, at the end of Grogu's uh time maybe maybe he reconnects, maybe he doesn't, maybe he goes off to some other world, some other land, but yeah, I think that's part yeah. of it too. Yeah, I think that father figure thing is so great. And I also continue to think that like Luke also really relates to this because of the journey we saw him go on in the original trilogy. He knows what it's like to not be fully focused on your Jedi training. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knows the danger of giving in to uh, frustration and fear and anger because he experienced those things viscerally and, you know, relatively recently in the timeline. So yeah. I, I really continue to appreciate that stuff. Uh, moving on, we get a little bit of discussion of Grogu versus the Rancor. Favreau talks about the thrill of putting the stop-motion-esque monster that is the Rancor in a kaiju rampage setting in Tatooine, uh, and then ultimately being calmed by Grogu. Rodriguez says he wanted to show an evolution of Grogu's force use and powers, and he did that by having Grogu not close his eyes while using the force as Grogu has before, uh, but instead only closing them at the end uh, after Grogu has successfully sent a wave of calm, love, empathy, as Rodriguez says to the Rancor. Filoni discusses that this is what Grogu has learned from Luke, that being a Jedi is not just about power or being an expert swords person, but the ability to to connect, to reach out, to help abate rage and fear. Uh I think that you and I are both in line with this because we've talked about this moment of, of Grogu, mm. uh, of this being true story evolution and, and seeing that even though Grogu left Luke, that he found some of that balance that Luke was telling him is out there uh, so that he is enhanced by, by his time with Luke. Uh, how does all this discussion of this moment enhance your enjoyment or understanding of it? That, that uh, Grogu in that moment is, is a 
pure as a, of a Jedi as any Jedi that's come before and, and will come after, right? And and, and others will, will 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 hit these marks as well. I think I think Ray does time and time again too. But yeah, again, the, the purpose and, and how we even just talk about the concept of balance being uh, dark and light, and there are those who would push the dark uh, uh, up and over uh, uh, the light, and that uh, Jedi maybe are there to stand in the middle of it. And that is not just about red sabers uh, and fights; it's about day day to day. And the little things, and I, I think that just drove home this point even more for me. The, uh, of Grogu, open eyes, open. What I take from that is eyes open, more connected, more uh, eyes of the window of the soul for you and for me, uh, and and for him and the Rancor to connect there. Um, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought too much about it over the. I'm just talking about over the course of of the entire Star Wars. Um, saga of, of who closes their eyes at what point when they use the force or not because there's again, examples of both um and who knows vader may be closing his eyes the entire time while he's force choking <laughs> Monty. we don't know um so it's, yeah I, I just it just it made it a a, a true moment uh, of, of peace peace in action yeah i think what i really liked about it i hadn't noticed the um the eyes i noticed how much grogu like really uh strides out there as much as a puppet can stride (laughs) he was striding and that it is so intentional he knows the situation and he is making a choice to use the force in this very specific way and what i a couple things i like about that is throughout the history of star wars we've seen the difference between kind of uh force powers being used uh, instinctually even in like books leia using them without realizing it um versus reaching this point where you are very consciously using your powers yeah uh, and i like that this is such a conscious moment from grogu a lot of the moments we've seen are instinctual or uh or aggressive uh, their defense you know yeah, yeah. Uh, you know or, or flinging the flames back <laughs> at the flame trooper you know mm-hmm. all those kind of things uh that this moment is like not only consciously using the force but understanding the force in a different way yeah that understanding it's not just a physical thing that it's a spiritual emotional thing and just radiating out reaching out and radiating out what grogu understands the rancor needs to feel you know yeah it's really it's a really beautiful moment followed by a a funny and 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 heartwarming moment of the the group nap between Mm. grogu and rancor um but it's one of the things that makes me feel really good about the story structure because it, 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 Grogu goes on a journey. He's not just in this season because, you know, uh, every a merchandiser yelled at Disney and said, you got to get the baby Yoda in this one. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's got a story to tell in this moment between Grogu and the Rancor makes the story feel whole. It, it is such a vital part of this story of breaking the cycle of violence. Yeah, and, and building up, uh, uh, building up something new, building up new community, and building up, um, yeah, 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 just uh, building up uh, the, the, this idea of 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 how you use your power. Something that's been discussed a, a lot this week here at Force Center, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then that leads to the cutest nap in, in the history of uh, cinema. So, yep, <laughs> the galaxy's greatest naps coming soon. Mm-hmm. Star Wars ranked. We'll see if we can come up with enough uh, naps. Uh, yep. So Favreau wraps up by talking about the definition of a hero. And he uh, describes it as putting your own individual needs aside and making them subservient to something bigger than yourself. Uh, he describes how for Din Djarin, it's taking care of Grogu and building that bond. And for Boba Fett, it's gaining a family with the Tuscans, discovering what that's like. And then after tragically uh, losing it, actively choosing to build this new community. 
how do you feel about this uh, definition of a hero and how it ties together all the all the threads of these these stories? Yeah, it's a big Star Wars idea. Do what is good for others, not what makes you uh, feel good. And, and you hear George talking about, yeah, I went through some dark times, got divorced. Uh, uh, you know, my franchise is coming to a close, uh, and 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 I learned during that time that you you uh, find true happiness by what you give to others and how you help others, and 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 that that's part of the the spirit that was in Star Wars, and it only became a bigger part of it, I think, even after that. And this connects to that this idea of um, you know your, your your own desires being set aside, and and I love I love how you even highlight. Um, Boba Fett and the community, the building of the community and how him walking, the final episode of him just kind of walking around. I, it, it always struck me as like a fun sitcom moment of like, we're just walking around. Hey, that's my new buddy. Hey, look at that. We're rebuilding everything. It's all good. It just, it actually works for me uh, when you're looking at what Boba Fett was trying to do and how he got to that point. And we're, and, and we're looking at that point and building back to it in my mind. And, and they, they're at that moment, Boba Fett is uh, is a bit of a true hero. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the what really drives home that last episode and many big ideas, but just this big idea of Boba Fett has this feeling that if you reach out with uh, with respect, maybe you can build something, maybe you can work together. And ev- so many people around him have doubt and cynicism, uh, you know, or outright anger, like, no, you can't. And this is the story of, yeah, it holds. The alliance yeah. holds. Uh, people are there for one another. And uh, I think for me, it gets into this idea of heroism that uh, when you build something bigger than yourself, uh, the community benefits and hey, you benefit because you're part of that community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Favreau really states it as a, as a putting aside your own individual needs um, and making them subservient. And I think that's often a way we, we define heroes. And I, and I think that is good. But my own personal philosophy is, you know, you need to be fulfilled as a person in order to to uh, build bonds with others and, and build bonds as a community. And I think for me, the the story is that in, in the example of these characters, Din Djarin and Boba Fett, uh, they build things, they mm-hmm. sacrifice, and they make connection. And not only do they make the community better, not only do they help the people around them, but they actively help themselves and make their own lives better by that pursuit. Yeah, it's 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 it's. Um, I think knowing yourself is is the best way to 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 then give yourself to others, uh, and and that's always mm-hmm. an ongoing process, and always you never you're never going to stop learning. At least you know, you hope, uh, and so yeah, that that's kind of a big connective thread in all of it, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, powerful, great stuff. Uh, so to wrap up, Ken, are there any moments that we haven't talked about that you want to touch on? Either little fun moments, or uh, like I said, had to cut some things for time because there's so much to discuss. So I wanted to be sure to sh- yeah. uh, uh, share that opportunity. Yeah, it's so funny. You you had uh, sent the emails before. Yeah, we'll cut some things for time, and I was like, hey, well, you know, it's fine. We can. I'm looking at uh, where we are at the episode, and long episodes are certainly welcome here by our Force Center community. We would be going for another hour. Uh, but we based would. on just what we're pulling out of it. So the, I look, I, everyone's talking about it and, and uh, Robert Rodriguez playing guitar uh, with, with Tam and, and Grogu from the past, but also just to hear him talk about it. He's really fascinating. And I'll, and I'll say this. I, I think his two episodes are, are really good. And I think he, he did such a great job. He, he, he hit his, uh, his normal high standards. I, I think some other directors in this series eclipsed his uh, high marks, which is saying a lot. Um, but so that, that was my like critical look at the season and, you know, his episodes as, as the director did, I don't know, Steph Green, my, that's my favorite episode, Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh my God. Uh, everyone else did so great. 
But I got to say, I really loved watching him uh, just work here as an executive producer involved, directing, but as an artist, he's an interesting cat, man. I, I, I make those references all the time to that, that the, the, the Favreau, uh, the chef show thing where he's talking about cooking pizzas for Guillermo del Toro. And just, he's an artist to the core. Uh, and, uh, you know, the playing the music, the, con- the artist energy, the connective energy, uh, that made me definitely want more of him in Star Wars, where part of that, I was like, love the work. His episodes were, were good. I like some of the other episodes better. And that's like my critical brain. But my Star Wars heart was really impressed by just everything he said and everything he brought to the table as a creator and as a true artist. I really like that. That, 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 that kind of had an impact on me. Yeah, no, and just his his influence on the big picture of his passion mm-hmm. for this character, and really balancing the like, yeah, no, he he's he's known as the guy who does uh, wild, big, fun action scenes, right? Um, but he's also a, a person who clearly relates to that idea of you know that mm-hmm. everything that's represented in Boba Fett and Rancor, and like you know, just because you can be the strongest in the room doesn't mean that has to be all you are. Yeah. Um, I think I think that spirit, that deep understanding of that part of the story is everywhere. And that's all coming through Rodriguez. That was perhaps one of the most uh, impactful moments to me. That idea of playing music with the cast and crew is it's really fun. And it's great to see uh, him and Tim singing and people dancing and the jokes yeah. with the Grogu uh, puppeteers mm-hmm. all like great and fun. But then that moment where he's like, uh yeah i find like this is a great way to bond with collaborators um i uh you know played drums for a, a big chunk of my life not something i do anymore but it just really deeply resonated with me when he said like you have to trust people when you're playing music right mm-hmm. and if you're just trying to make sure you're on beat with somebody and and anticipate where they're going you know the feeling when you're playing music and you can sense somebody's just going to do like a break or a weird little rhythm and you got to follow them because you're in sync. That so erases the like, I am the director. My name mm-hmm. is here on the call sheet. You are the act. Like mm-hmm. it gets rid of all of that status and you're just people making something organically in the moment together. That was such a great insight. Uh, it was really moving. Yeah. I, I, I hear this a lot around these, uh, Star Wars BTS stuff or even some of the Marvel stuff or anytime you watch something, look, not everything is going to be a home run and you might still be listening to this and go, Hey, the BTS is great. Still don't love Book of Boba Fett. That, that's totally fine. But yep. everything that they brought to the table, the seriousness, the heart, the dedication, the passion uh, that they brought to this project, I think was all within good inten- intentions. And you're talking about the trust. You're talking about the music. Uh, look, I play the tambourine badly. That's the only instrument I play, <laughs> um, but it is about, uh, giving yourself over to uh, the moment and w- what you're talking about earlier of, of knowing yourself and being the best you, knowing who you are, knowing what you bring to the table, and then having to release it to the larger group to make something wonderful. Think of improv, uh, music, uh, so many other examples. It's not just about the art, the arts. Uh, it could be anything else out there in your job, your life, your relationship. You do the best you and that's and you give yourself to the bigger cause. There comes that trust. So I, that's that is. It's a big. He is truly an artist. I mean, watch him make a pizza. Watch him make a movie. He approaches it with the <laughs> same spirit. And I, I really, as someone who grew up having to, you know, read his book for credit in college. You know what I mean? Like to go for that to like he he. he that's that's what I think. I just really respect more than anything uh, about what he brought to the table here. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I got a bunch of other things, but I'm just going to say one in the interest of time. Mm. Uh, I did like uh, everything that they concentrated on with uh, Fennec Shand and with uh, Ming-Na Wen. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't include it as much because I didn't feel like there was as many revelations uh, or, or big ideas, but it was such a great celebration of Fennec uh, talking about how important the character was to balance Boba Fett. And uh, I love just all of the moments of uh, Ming-Na Wen. Uh, geeking out about riding a bantha and seeing Mark Hamill and sort of implying that sometimes uh, Tamora Morrison had to be like, what? pull it back now. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I love that sequence. And you're right to point it out. And and I love there's that one shot of it's like her, it, it's Teb, and then the Mark Hamill in the Jabba's palace set. Whoa, <laughs> like that kind of blew my mind for a second. I, 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 I geeked out there. So I get it. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely great stuff. Any other thoughts for you uh, as we uh, wind down here? No, we'll we'll force ourselves to wrap it up here. Yeah, we will stop here because we have to contain ourselves. Every once in a while, Ken, where can people find us? Hey, you can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We're on Instagram and YouTube as well. Big live show on May 13th. If you're listening this week, uh, we'll get the information out there. 4 p.m. Pacific on our YouTube channel. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. Uh, you can hear us on Acast, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Just search. You'll find us. Merch is available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. Don't forget at Star Wars Celebration on Thursday, 2 p.m., we'll be in the podcast stage area as guests on Alex and Molly Damon's Star Wars Explained show. Look for us there. You can follow me at Catnapsock or go to my website, catnapsock.com. Joseph, what about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw, and you can go to my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all my comedy adventures, uh, comedy albums, shows I've written or written for. Uh, you can find out uh, soon about some uh, performance uh, events coming up, and you can check out my podcast, Obsessed. If you're an MCU fan, the most recent episode of Obsessed is a discussion of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So if you're interested, check that out. But for now, for myself... For Ken, for Robert Rodriguez playing guitar with Boba Fett, this has been Force Center. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.